Well, good afternoon and welcome to Your DIY Health Radio here on the Spreaker Radio Network and simulcasting on Free Conference Call. I'm your host, Sergeant Jim Ram, retired. You can call me Sarge. It is Tuesday, November 28th, 2023. And this program is meant to provide natural healing information only and is in no way meant to replace the advice of a competent medical professional, assuming you can find one. I would uh, just suggest go to the website, yourdiyhealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R-D-I-Y, like do-it-yourself, health, yourdiyhealth.com. There's all kinds of information there. All the products we talk about are there, including the terahertz frequency devices. You have now two choices. Uh, you have the uh, iTeraCare devices that we've been marketing for about a year and a half now. And my new personal favorite, the OliLife uh, products, which are the P90 and the Cell Essentials Wand. And I'll tell you what, those two devices take it to a whole new level. There's information about all of them there on the website. Uh, you can order from the website. Um just uh, take advantage of it, take, uh, take a good look at it, and get them while you can. No telling what's going to happen with the economy and money and all the other stuff. So they're available now. The uh, Iteracare devices are usually available in two to three days from the ordering. Uh, the Oli Life takes a little bit longer because we're still in pre-launch with them. Um, they won't be a live company here in the U.S. officially until after the first of the year. But still only takes about a week to get one of the, either the P90 or the wand. Um, and they're shipped very quickly from overseas. They come by DHL. And uh, both the shipments I've received came faster than they expected them. Uh, so uh, it is possible to get them. And uh, you can order via credit card, PayPal, a couple other options. And I uh, encourage you to take a look, take a look at it and uh, jump on board while you can. Make great Christmas presents, too. So also, while you're on the site, be sure and hit the Radio Shows tab. At the top of the page, you'll see the link to the archive page. And then right below it is uh, the Rumble button. You never know what that is. And then uh, below that's the information on the shows we do when they're on and how you listen. And at the bottom of the page is the link to the Facebook page set up for the show as well as the Telegram channel. Now keep in mind the topics discussed and opinions mentioned on this show are those of the host and or guests and don't necessarily represent the opinions of the uh, free conference call Um What's the other one? Spreaker <laughs> or any of the uh, Rumble or any of the platforms we host our replays on or any of the alphabet agencies out there listening in. Nothing we say in this show should be construed as an attempt to diagnose, treat, or cure any kind of a health or wealth issue. It's all here for your education and entertainment purposes only so that as a responsible adult, you can use this show as a jumping off point to do your own research and due diligence to make sure that what you're doing and what you're trying is right for you. All righty then. That being said, we're going to get right into things. Uh, yesterday, we had talked about, um, we had some videos that were going on, and uh, one of the ones I wanted to cover, you know, is debating which one to do yesterday. Uh, but today, we've got Dr. Sam Bailey um, uh, doing an interview of Roman Bistrianic, who is the co-author of Dissolving Illusions uh, by himself and Suzanne Humphreys, MD. And uh, this is all about... Uh, the bs of vaccines <laughs> and the fact that they've never been proven safe and effective they've never done anything that they claim they did like getting rid of childhood illnesses and that kind of stuff that's all a big scam and um, he's going to talk about that here so without any further ado i'm going to get rolling with it uh, the sound issues should have been fixed and everything is good so here we go hey we're going to take uh 
spinal cord from somebody who just recently died and puree it with some salt or some other concoction. We're going to inject it into monkeys' brains. Yeah, I can't make this stuff up. So they inject it into monkeys' brains, and of course, these monkeys end up being paralysis symptoms. So they're like, oh, we found the virus. It's in the spinal cord. Therefore, that's why the monkeys got paralyzed. There was no control group, of course, or anything like that. They didn't, didn't, I don't think it dawned on them that injecting material into a monkey's brain might cause a problem. Roman Bastrianic has been researching the history of diseases and vaccines since 1998. He has an extensive background in health and nutrition, as well as a Bachelor of Science in Engineering and a Master's of Science in Computer Science. Roman co-authored the book Dissolving Illusions in 2013 and continues to expose many of the false historical health stories we have all been taught since childhood. I recently interviewed Roman as he prepares the 10th anniversary edition of Dissolving Illusions. As always, his research data is impeccable, and now he has turned his attention to the inconsistencies of germ theory as well. Roman Vistrianic, it is so lovely to have you here on my channel with me. It's been a long, long time coming and very overdue, but thank you for joining me. Oh, it's it's wonderful to be here. It's great. And so to start with, Roman, uh, I'd really like to hear your background, like your training and your education before we get into the Dissolving Illusion book. Uh, just how you, how, your journey, how you got there. I have a background in engineering. I went to UConn School of Engineering. So I have all the background in physics. Uh, I eventually settled into like computer programming. So that was like the thing I did for a long time complex systems. Well, I started out like in, like everybody else, small programs and a company and didn't know what I was doing, of course. Um, but, you know, over the years, I gained a lot of experience and knew how to put things together and analyze data, get that all together so I could write these rather complex multi-million line programs and really make them work correctly because you had to know how everything worked and be able to put it all together. I was basically a normal, just a regular guy. Um, you know, eating pizza, drinking beer up till I was around 30, 30 and a half, actually, and uh, just going to work. And I started getting run down by my late 20s, just wasn't feeling right. And uh, this guy at work, I was working at a medical ultrasound company. Most of the stuff I did was in the medical field, ironically. And he gave me this book on a low carb diet. And I was like, oh, what's that? Because I don't know anything about health or anything, just a regular guy. And so I read it and I was like, well, this guy's crazy, So, but I'll try it anyway. And so I cut out all the sugar and refined carbs and it was like an induction diet. I think it was the Atkins diet. And uh, within like a week or two, I felt phenomenal. My fatigue went away and I was like, wow, you know, that's just an enormous change in a short period of time. And so that got me really curious why I didn't know about this, you know. Why isn't this on television? So that was my first introduction to, well, maybe the TV doesn't tell us everything we need to know kind of thing. And because I was working at an ultrasound company, um, they had act I had access to medical journals. And I started listening to this Dr. Atkins on the radio. I was like, well, let me take a look at these, at the 
these uh, different journals. And I would find things in there about vitamin C and things like that that weren't really ever talked about. I don't recall exactly what the articles were, but they were like, oh, that's odd. I don't know that either. And I didn't know a lot of stuff. So I just started reading it. And there, were, there was a lot of terms in there I didn't understand. So it took a while to really get my mind around things. Um, later on, I was I got hooked on listening to these health programs. I ran across another guy who was uh, Gary Null, who's a vegetarian. And he started talking about a little bit more advanced topics. And I kind of got hooked on that. So I started listening to him for a while, for actually quite a while. And he was talking about a lot of detail things, usually about health and a lot of other topics. Uh, at one point, he said, you know, there's 16 and a half thousand people dying from NSAIDs uh, from uh, the internal bleeding. So I said, well, this, that's, that's, that can't be true. That would be on the news for sure. So I decided to go to Yale Medical and look up the manuals or look up the, the particular studies. And there it was, you know. So I, I kept going deeper and deeper into all these different topics. And uh, I started listening and to a couple of different autism shows and where there could be neurological damage from vaccines. And at the time I thought, well, that's probably true, but, you know, that doesn't happen too often. And we have all these diseases all conquered. And so it's... It's horrible, but I'm sure there's smart scientists working to make them safer and safer all the time. So I thought on balance, you know, vaccines were a great idea. So, oh, well, you know, I feel sorry for the people, but you know, what are we going to do? We can't make it perfectly safe. But I was still curious, so I started reading some books on it, including um, I picked up a little booklet by Neil Miller. And in that book, he had a chart of measles deaths declining by about 98% before the vaccine. And I was pretty stunned. I thought, gee, you know, this can't be possibly true. And so I went back to Yale Medical and, you know, went in there and uh, looked at these big olive green books, which were U.S. vital statistics. And so I started going through all these and photocopying all the pages and, and then eventually got all the data and I charted them in a spreadsheet and I found the same basic chart of a 98% decline in mortality before there was any vaccine. And, uh, you know, I find something similar with the whooping cough vaccine. That was down over 90% as well. So I was pretty, pretty stunned at that point, which I think is, you know, interesting that that doesn't exist somewhere on a CDC website. You know, where's all the data that you're supposed to be relying on, right? Somebody pointed me to a 1960s uh, vital statistics where somebody actually had the same chart I would create, like, 50 years later. So people had charted the data and it showed the same thing, but it also showed it for declining for all sorts of diseases, typhoid and, and scarlet fever and the flu and all the different diseases, all, you know, all dropping down to, um, you know, by 90% or usually more than that, almost a hundred percent. So, and a lot of those diseases, you know, didn't have a vaccine. So this, this is what opened the door for me to be very curious as to why don't we know that and what did really cause the decline. Had you had vaccines prior growing up and things? Oh, yeah. I don't know exactly why. We had those little booklets that, you know, people just handwritten into. So I think I had like the measles and a couple of things like that, you know, MMR and stuff like that. I'm really not sure. And once you had um, 
looked at the data and and put it in these spreadsheets. Was that the was was that the change for you in never having vaccines again? Initially, I was just stunned. I just kept on looking at the data, we're trying to figure out what I got wrong because it wasn't that hard to find, and you would think somebody else would have looked at it. And, Try to examine this and point it out, but I couldn't find it anywhere. No one was talking about it. New York, it. Governor. And so I, for the longest time, I thought it was just, you know, just wrong somehow. But the more I looked at it, it's like it's, it was ironclad. I kept on going over the data. I made sure everything was right. And um, eventually I said, well, there's, there's something rotten here. It got me to really digging into the history so I would know, gee, why did it decline? And it you know, couldn't have been the vaccine. So it had to be something else. Something else had to have changed. So that's what got me going on the whole thing. And then it became obsessive. <laughs> I'm like, I'm always curious about everything. And I got caught into this whole, whole, whole uh, topic. So then you started thinking about it for your own kids. Because were they quite young at that point? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, I had gotten divorced. So uh, he and my ex weren't in very good terms <laughs> for a bunch of reasons. And uh, so she she basically uh, had control, so she would she got him vaccinated anyway. So, which I was quite disturbed by at the time, and you know, wasn't very happy about it at all. Um, one one suffered some neurological damage and some seizures, but um, I spent quite a bit of time trying to figure out how to reverse it, and those got reversed. And so he's a he's a great kid. He's a great guy now. He's actually a man. They're all men. So I had three boys. So they're all they're all three great guys, but you know that was done behind my back. Basically, that wasn't like my decision to have that done. Because at that point, I realized it was just it was just nonsense. It shouldn't. It's not necessary. How did dissolving illusions then come about? Was it the obsession? <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, you know, so I gathered like three, four, or five giant binders of data. So I just photocopied all the stuff. I was working at different jobs. I uh, worked three years in New York City, so I would take the train in and I would you know, read through all these documents and journals and highlight all the yellow, you know, with a highlighter, all the different parts. And after a while, I decided, well, I should probably, you know, write this down so I can understand it. And you know, after a while, I said, well, I really should share this with other people because I haven't seen this anywhere. And so I started writing and, but you know, life happens and, uh, after a while, I just gave up on the project because I had too many things going on. And so the first version of the book I ditched and then it restarted again because, again, I felt that it was important that I share stuff that no one seems to know for some reason. Why I would know, I don't know, but I, I felt I should do it. So I just started writing some proto chapters so I could understand what, what life was like in the 1800s and what changed and you know, lots of other pieces of information. So I started doing that, but I thought, gee, you know, I need to find a doctor. I think that might be a good idea if I'm going to write a book like this. I, I was listening to Gary Null again, and this lady came on and she was talking about smallpox. And instantly I knew that was going to be who I was going to work with. I didn't have any question about it, which was kind of weird because it was almost like a, I don't know, almost like a spiritual, aha, this is my co-author, <laughs> which was kind of funny because I'm not that kind of woo-woo kind of guy. Anyway, I just knew it was going to be that way. So uh, somehow I got her contact information. This is Suzanne Humphreys. And uh, 
I called her once, she didn't return the call. Second time, didn't return call. And then the third time, she finally returned the call. And she's like, who, who are you? I said, uh, I explained what I was doing. And I was wondering if she'd be interested in looking at this stuff. And she was like, oh, I thought you were a quackbuster, really giving me a hard time. Because so, <laughs> she's been, she was already getting a hard time by then. I said, well, I'm in Connecticut, you're up in Maine. You know, I could take a trip up and I could show you what I got. And she's like, okay. And so that's what we did. She read through some of the stuff when we were there by a lake. And uh, I was just relaxing. I made it into like a long weekend with my wife. And uh, at the end, she's like, okay, I'm on board. And then we started working for four years, like way too much <laughs> until we all, we were both burnt out. And then we published in 2013. And I, uh, I figured we'd sell like a hundred copies or a couple hundred copies and I felt like I did my duty and um, we're done. We were both burnt out. I was like, okay, we're done. Goodbye. And it wasn't just a few hundred copies, Roman. I mean, can I just tell a story actually? Because this cracks me up. But I still remember the first, because you'd been emailing me in 2020, I think it was. And you, and I didn't know who you were, obviously. And then I remember you said in an email once that you've written this book. And you'd linked it, but it was like you didn't even mention the name of it. And I was like, he's an author. Yeah. And then I I looked, I went to Amazon and looked looked at this book. And I was like, oh my goodness, (laughs) this is the most incredible book. And I've not even heard of it before. And I remember telling my husband, Mark, you know, you can't, can you look? This guy's been talking to me. And you're so humble, Roman. You You don't remember that. No, no, not really. Sorry. No, I don't remember. Um, no, I, I, I'm, I'm honestly nobody special. I'm just uh, curious and obsessive more than anything else. And Anybody can look up the same stuff and do the same thing if they wanted to. It's not that difficult. So I just have the skills of being organized. And I don't know. Basically, I don't know, it's obsessive. <laughs> so that's probably what it is. So, but anybody can do this stuff. It's not, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's all there, especially now with the internet. You can find everything. If you're so interested, you can dig up everything and put it all together. And I wish people would. You know, the more people that do it, the more people know um, that health doesn't come in these shots or in pills. It comes from a different place. It comes from you. So anybody can do it. What has been to you, like the biggest health revelations of your journey, like was it the the diet change or was it something else? Well, it's a series of things. So the various diet changes and along the way, I also became uh, amateur helping people with their health problems. You know, I've had a few successes of people reversing conditions, which is my amateur kind of way of doing things. And it always came down to, well, you got to at least have your basics right. Have to have a decent diet, which is basically as close to nature as possible. You got to make sure you're well hydrated. You got to make sure you're de-stressed. Um, maybe compensate with some nutrients like vitamin D because you're in the north and you're not getting too much of that. And uh, exercise, and you know, give up all the junk. You know, no coffee, donuts, pizzas, all the stuff I used to eat. <laughs> it's all gone. I used to drink ten cups of coffee a day too. My final revelation was that, you know, if you stick with nature and you're going to be 
relatively good, pretty good. You've got your 99.9% of your health. You don't need all this other stuff. And a lot of these conditions we have are because of you know, D deficiency, magnesium, just to overload of stress, especially the last, you know, since social media, stress, 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 and everybody's trying to scare everybody all the time. And uh, if you if you take care of all those things, you don't really have to worry about too much. When you talked about that you've helped people, what conditions have you helped with? You know, a couple of different people with epilepsy, um, using fatty acids and you know, dietary corrections, just here and there, some, some things like that. Um, my wife and I recently had somebody who had a friend, family member of a friend who was going to go for a liver transplant. And I'm not taking credit for this because uh, Michelle actually did this more than anything else. Uh, we talked to this lady and uh, she was had gone through the gauntlet of doctors and tests and everything else to get a liver transplant. Her eyes were yellow. And so we got her on milk thistle and juicing and a few other things. And I was really, I was blown away because within two weeks, her blood parameters were already better. Within four weeks, her eyes were no longer yellow and she's no longer on the transplant list. So I, I, I was simply blown away at how fast that regenerated her liver. I think there's a lot out there with plant medicines that we can do a lot of things. And if we fix our diet and fix our nutritional deficiencies and get rid of our stress. And I think that's one of the biggies that we, we kind of just ignore because we think we're just like this biological machine when you know, our psychology really just makes a big difference and uh, impacts us like tremendously. So getting rid of uh, fear and hate is really, really important. On that sort of theme, with Dissolving Illusions, what was the feedback? What happened when, once you published the book? I didn't really pay attention in the beginning. Um, eventually, I went on Amazon. There was quite a bit of... Know, feedback on it and it was you know for 4.9 stars i was like oh wow that's, that's pretty cool so i read some of the reviews and you know i got a lot of positive feedback uh i also got a couple of the one line uh you're a quack and it's you know you're an anti-vaxxer kind of stuff you know so usually it wasn't anybody who actually read the book at least i assume they didn't read it and uh so it was all positive you know, feedback and then we started getting requests to translate it i'm like oh okay sure why not so now it's been translated into seven languages. So and then uh, Chinese and Russian are on the horizon too. So it's, you know, I'm, I, I'm kind of blown away, you know, so I didn't think it would ever do that. I thought a couple hundred copies I'm done, but uh, to date sold a hundred thousand paperbacks. That doesn't include the audio or, or um, Kindles. So done quite well. And, and the, really the important thing is, uh, no one's really found anything really technically wrong with the book. It all makes sense. No one's ever really taken anything apart much. There's been a couple of nitpicky things. And it's helped a lot of people to you know, change their idea of history and uh, disease and vaccines. So you know, that, I think that was great. And I feel like I've helped the world a bit. You've helped more than a few people. It's a phenomenal book. And that was one thing I wanted to bring up with the charts. Has it, because I can't see, has anyone ever tried to refute them? Uh, no. As a matter of fact, I mean, the same chart's available in the CDC website. Um, and we have that linked on, the, on our website where they have the same charts or some of the same charts uh, in a CDC document. It's there on page 85. Here's the same chart. So... The data from England, which showed more dramatic changes, um, they started gathering data in 1838. 
you see a 99.8% decline of deaths in measles and 99.7 in whooping cough. Those are harder to verify because the older data, I'm trying to find sources for that, but no one's ever refuted any of that stuff. And, you know, if somebody said, hey, this data is wrong and they could prove it, you know, I'd be like, oh, that's, that's not good. Let's, let's fix that because then that's not true. So it's up, it's about being true. It doesn't matter if I was wrong. I'm, I'm wrong all the time. You know, life is about being wrong and making corrections. So, but no one's ever refuted anything in there. And that's, that, that's one of the reasons I insisted having direct quotes in the book so that you can read a big paragraph of something and know the reference and be able to say, well, okay, that's what was said back in 17 or 1800s or whatever it was. So you know that it's accurate, not my paraphrasing or our paraphrasing. And you're coming up to publishing the 10-year anniversary for Dissolving Illusions, which is just amazing. Since writing the original book, have you changed? Because one thing I'm interested in is obviously germ theory. And yeah. I think Dissolving Illusions points to problems, but doesn't overtly say anything. Or have you have you changed your position at all since writing? Yeah, to some extent. So when I looked at a chart with the data points on it, I always thought were sacrosanct. It meant that people had died from this particular condition and that there was a microbe involved. It just that the microbe wasn't that important or really had an effect once you corrected people's health and the environment. When that was fine, then the microbe couldn't do much, right? So that's the way I used to think about it. Now I'm not so sure, especially for older data. There's, when you see something that says there's a data point of 70 deaths per 100,000 of whooping cough or per smallpox or something, did that person really die from that particular condition or did they die from the medical treatments or were they because they were nutritionally deficient or because of a lot of other factors? Originally, I think, and, and most people think of these charts as here's a data point and they died from this microbe period. And that was the end of it, right? You, uh, the health of the person didn't matter. The um, you know, medical treatments they were getting didn't matter that just doesn't enter into it because germ theory says there's a microbe and it, it does something and kills you. And that didn't make sense with the original charts. And now I realize a lot of the deaths had to do with the first things we thought of, which were um, the environment and the health of the person, but also in the updated version, there's a lot of evidence that the actual treatments themselves are the things that caused a lot of the problem because like today, um, these people would do things that were basically, especially back then, were you know not very good for the, the health of a person. But I don't think they really understood that. This is just things they talked themselves into and thought were a good idea. And they ended up doing a lot of damage and killing lots of people in the hopes of actually treating somebody of a condition. So I think a lot of those things are in that. Um, I know there's a debate between does the microbe do anything or, you know, is that really important? Um, I, I'm not, you know, I think like in the case of whooping cough, that, that microbe can get into your lungs and multiply and cause you some, some problems uh, and your body wants to get rid of those. That's the way I look at it still. And uh, 
So I think the microbes can cause problems, especially if you get it into your, your bloodstream, then you can have sepsis because it multiplies. And I think that's where you have a basic problem. But as far as microbes in the environment overall, I don't really worry about them at all. I don't think that's a real thing. I think most of it was from, like I said before, uh, poor nutrition, horrible environment, and bad, bad medical treatments have been causing a lot of the trouble. Yeah, I, I am interested because particularly um, you, you've been deep diving into virology with polio. Is that fair with some of the, with the original and the, and the dissolving illusions 10 year anniversary? There's a couple of different things I wanted. I ended up finding and, and talking about like one of them's deadly medicine. So there's also all sorts of crazy things that doctors were doing, like bleeding. They bled George Washington to death uh, with 64 ounces, approximately of blood that they drained out of him because he had a cold or the flu. There's things like that in mercury they were using and arsenic and all sorts of toxic uh, things they were using because they thought that was you know, kind of a good idea. So. So that's some of the things I wanted to talk about um, because I had uncovered so much of that and that had an impact on what's going on with all these deaths. And before I get to polio, so if you had smallpox, there were doctors that talked about uh, that smallpox was just a mild disease. It wasn't a big deal if it wasn't mistreated. Isaac Massey of Christ's Hospital. So he said this in 1722. Uh, just after they started doing inoculations, this where Lady Wardley Montague came back and promoted this inoculation, which was taking some smallpox pus and scraping it onto you, right? And so he was like, no, we don't have problems with smallpox. I, we have like 600 children going through every year. We're continuously overturning. And we've only had five to six smallpox deaths over 20 years. And in the last eight, when he was writing it, was only one. He said... And, we don't need inoculation because smallpox is a mild disease unless you do the wrong thing if you mistreat it. Otherwise, it's mild. And even earlier than that, Sydenham, father of modern English medicine, he was uh, he also said the same thing. Is if you don't create any mischief by either doctors or nurses, that smallpox is one of the most mild diseases. So that that's kind of interesting because that's not what you Typically here, you hear smallpox, we're all going to die because smallpox is so deadly. But it turns out that a lot of it had to do with these you know, medical treatments. So um, specifically then they would do this thing called a hot regimen. They would put you in a room, no fresh air, no fresh water, keep you super warm and give you purgatives so that, you know, everything shot out of you basically and give you mercury if you really needed some and they would bleed you. Well... <laughs> They lost a lot of people like that. So, and uh, Sydenham noted that the poor people who couldn't afford medical treatment almost always recovered from smallpox. And you know, by the end of the 1800s, early 1900s, smallpox became mild anyway because a lot of these medical treatments went away and people were healthier. So, by 1920-1930, smallpox was just like chickenpox; it was not a big deal anymore. But uh, this is not what the media tells you. They just tell you the same old. One in five people died from smallpox. And, and and that's where we go back to the charts. The charts aren't just about a disease. It's how you were treated for that disease or perceived disease. Yeah, because the other thing that I think is crucial with what you've what dissolving illusion um, demonstrates is, and I know that you're interested in this, <laughs> is the classification of diseases and what they are. Because 
the definitions can change. And the trouble is with, unless you have that information prior, when you're looking at a chart, for example, what sure. is smallpox? What is polio? Right, it sure. Becomes, it becomes an issue. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, polio is a, a very classic example of what you're talking about. And polio is very interesting. So I, I spent the last year and a half or so deep diving into a lot of the literature for that. It's very interesting because there's a couple of key things that aren't you have ever talked about for polio. First, there's a lot of evidence it wasn't contagious. So there were people in families, usually one person would get the disease of polio, which is a paralysis, right? And no one else in the family would get it. And there would be you know, hospitals where no nurse, no doctor ever got polio. Other children didn't get polio. There was one hospital, I think, 35 years, no one ever got polio from somebody who had polio. So there's oodles of data showing it's not contagious. That's one. Um, all the cases were far apart. They were isolated. Uh, there's a book uh, written, who, a doctor who took all these cases on Vermont. The cases were all over Vermont, but they were just in isolated locations. No one was around. And no one had contact with other people. They just ended up with some kind of paralysis. The other interesting thing is it was considered a hot weather disease so that it really only happened or 80% of cases happened during the peak heat months of like you know, August, July, August, September. So when there was tremendous amounts of heat or that's when you had these, these major uh, amounts of cases. The other thing to keep in mind also was a low incidence disease. It was, they would declare an epidemic of 25 per 100,000. They would call that an epidemic in that location. So it was, it was pretty rare. Not a lot of people got it, despite what the media made it sound like. And, um, you know, there was, there was a lot of reasons for written about in the literature why you might get paralysis. A lot of them were lead and mercury and arsenic. And those, those types of things would be written about as to why you might have a paralysis and including sunstroke. Sunstroke was considered a, by some to be the reason for you know, issues of paralysis. Uh, oh, there was another factor too. So there, there was oftentimes at the same time people were experiencing these you know, paralysis type symptoms. Animals would also have the same type of problem, horses and, and chickens and that type of thing. And they would be paralyzed or even died about the same time during the hot summer months. So there was a correlation there. Um, anyway, so, but animals that were kept together that you know, might have some kind of paralysis never transmitted it. No matter how close they were, they never transmitted it from one person, one animal to another, just like people. Overall, this idea that there's a microbe or something out there causing a problem had been embedded so deeply for centuries. Um, that the first default way people always thought about anything was that there was some kind of infectious agent that's causing this kind of problem. So that's where they always started out, and that's where they always believed it was going to be eventually proven. And uh, despite you know all these different um, attributes of polio, like only occurring during the summer and not during the winter or very rarely, um, they still went along the premise that it's contagious and highly contagious. So 
they decided, well, how are we going to prove that this is contagious? So Flexner, Dr. Flexner at the Rockefeller Institute, uh, based on some other experiments, decided, hey, we're going to take a spinal cord from somebody who just recently died and puree it with some salt or some other concoction. And we're going to inject it into monkeys' brains. Yeah, I can't make this stuff up. So they injected into monkeys' brains. And of course, these monkeys end up being having paralysis symptoms. So they're like, oh, we found the virus. It's in the spinal cord. Therefore, that's why the monkeys got paralyzed. There was no control group, of course, or anything like that. They didn't, didn't, I don't think it dawned on them that injecting you know, material into a monkey's brain might cause a problem and basically have the same paralysis symptoms. So some of the monkeys got paralyzed, some died. So they were like, oh, there we go. We found it. And that was considered proof of the virus. Therefore, it justified all the things that the public health officials basically said that this is a contagious disease. If there's something you have to isolate and they wanted to swab throats and treat people for some kind of infection when point of fact, they had never proved anything. There's no proof that it was infectious. And they just kind of went along that, that idea. So it was basically proved to be an infectious agent simply by declaring it a infectious agent. It is unbelievable. And like you say, the experiments to actually look at them and read them yourself and go, this is what they were doing. <laughs> this doesn't yeah. match nature at all. <laughs> no, but it, those experiments never should have been done because, you know, that doesn't make any sense. If you have animals in the same cages, you've got people that don't transmit it, then therefore it's not contagious. But their default thinking was, well, we're not sure how it's transmitted, but we're going to assume it's contagious because that's in the public's best interest, right? And so they just went along that tact. And once it became, you know, basically written into, you know, health law, then that was the end of it. They just continued down that route. And even after 40 years or so, they still didn't understand how polio worked or, you know, anything about it really, uh, because they had ignored all the other data, like the sunstroke and the, the toxins and DDT was another one that could cause paralysis. And they had that right in their JAMA wrote exactly in, in one of their journals that this is a neurotoxin and can cause paralysis. So, um, you know, so it's, they're spraying this crap everywhere. You know, They were also spraying arsenic too. So that's going to cause some paralysis. And they were using medications like Fowler's drops that had arsenic in it. And sometimes after a couple of years of taking this medication, people would get sick and you know, paralyzed or even die. So they had all these different ways you can get paralyzed, but it all got boiled down to some microbe that they couldn't find. But So they went off and did what they always do. They have to find something to stop the microbe. And so they started, you know, coming up with these different you know, ideas for vaccination. And then, you know, once Salk came out with his vaccine, they changed the definition of what polio was. Instead of having a case uh, of paralysis within 24 hours, they changed it, well... It should be 60 days apart just to make sure it's, you know, a real paralysis, which coincided with a vaccine. And they also changed other things like they started separating it out into uh, aseptic meningitis and coccyxia virus and all sorts of different subcategories of stuff that weren't polio. And so, of course, the, the decline in polio would be pretty dramatic. They also changed the definition of um, what an epidemic would be from 25 to 35 or something like that. Suddenly epidemics vanished because there were no more epidemics because they changed the definition of an epidemic. So it's 
you know, by changing these definitions, the charts don't really mean what you think they mean. And, and the Salk vaccine was just a disaster anyway. Salk thought, gee, by 1957, there would only be 100 cases of paralytic polio. Instead, by 1959, there were 6,000. And uh, one quarter of those people were triple vaccinated. So it wasn't really working out the way they thought it was going to work out. So, so it, by changing definitions and um, you know, keeping the public perception in a positive light, they just basically created this mythology that, gee, we fixed polio. And um, it was interesting, one doctor was talking about how here in these, in academia, we see all these issues with the polio vaccine and, and there's a lot of confusion about it. But if you go out and read the newspapers, it's it's marvelous, it's a miracle. And it, nothing was transmitted by any of these public health officials and uh, publicity men that there was any problems. It was simply, this is a great vaccine and everyone should take it. If everyone takes it, then the problem's taken care of. And so uh, the public was always kept in the dark about all the, the problems with it. Because of the way history is written in a certain, with a certain narrative in mind of, sure. so polio was caused by a virus or what, what have you, smallpox is caused by another infectious disease. Have you found it a challenge going back to research conditions, because I often get asked about smallpox, you know, what was actually happening at the time. Yeah, the, sure. do, have, have you found that a challenge? So we're writing Dissolving Illusions 10 in a companion, and the companion has a list of all the books I've gone through. Well, I actually haven't read all of them because otherwise I'd spend the next 30 years. But um, So in there, there's like 50 different books or something like that that people wrote. There was a lot of doctors that were against vaccination because they saw very early on, A, it didn't work, and B, it could kill people, and it was dangerous and could harm people. And so there was, um, in the companion, we have over probably 100, 150 quotes from different doctors that were talking about this, and they wrote books and they wrote articles, and they're, they're out there. You can get them on the internet now. Whereas before you had to go to some library and try to dig them up. And so there was a lot of, there's a lot of information out there. I mean, you could spend the rest of your life on any particular thing you want to do, um, you know, look into. There's just tons and tons and tons of stuff to read. And uh, the more you read, the more you're like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> there's always more. And uh, for example, there was a guy that I first ran across was a, uh, Dr. Henry Littlejohn in 1888 or so. And he wrote a, a lengthy article about um, how he and his staff were in hospitals. He was a sanitary inspector for 25 years with his staff and that he took care of whooping cough and smallpox and tuberculosis and fevers and all sorts of stuff like that over in even during epidemics and none of he and none of his staff ever got sick nor did any of their family members ever get anything transmitted to them and i thought wow that's that's fascinating you know that's that's really an indictment of like spreading infection when they didn't get sick and he's not the only one there was another doctor who had a group of nurses that were, you know, what did you say, you know, hard as nails, I guess he said they were tough, tough cookies, I guess. And they would have, you know, their tea five times a day and small meals and 
they didn't have any fear and they took care of lots of cases of people with all sorts of illness. And some of the nurses were vaccinated for smallpox, some were not. None of them ever got sick. They never got sick. And they didn't have masks and gloves and all that, you know, garbage. Um, they were fine. They didn't have a problem. It's and some of these people concluded it's the fear that gets you. And he actually said that in order to be a, a effective sanitary inspector, you have to not be afraid because the fear will get you and then you'll have a condition. Otherwise, you won't get sick. Yeah, during this whole COVID thing, everyone else is freaking out. And uh, I'm like going about my day, not paying attention. And I even went to visit my sister during, I guess there was a lockdown. I don't know. I wasn't watching TV and or listening to our radio. And I'm driving along. There's nobody on the road. And I went to visit my sister. Um, no problem. I went to visit a couple other people. There's nobody around <laughs> except for me. And I was helping homeless people too. It's, they were just basically uh, kicked out of homeless shelters. Like, oh, yes, you can go somewhere else, I guess. And so I was helping them out, get them a meal here and there. And I, I never I never got, you know, those symptoms of COVID. And, and as a matter of fact, this, the homeless people, as far as I know, who are not the healthiest people because they eat whatever they can get their hands on. And, and I, I was fortunate because I had written this book. I'd done all the reading and I knew that, you know, I didn't have to worry. I didn't have to be afraid of this because it's, it's not real. So obviously there was a lot of dissent within the medical community about vaccines earlier on because they could see what was happening. Do you think that's part of the reason of why they've had to control doctors so much like that it's become more and more draconian? You have, you're either in the club or you're, you're out. I see that as being the same as it has been for you know, centuries. So there were people that you know criticized the smallpox vaccine, for example, or smallpox inoculation but they were always the minority. It's easier to go with the flow and make money. And so you know, a lot of these doctors in the early 1800s, so Jenner came out with this idea in 1798. So the original idea was take some pus from some lesion on somebody who has smallpox and scratch it onto you. He just changed it to, let's take it from a cow. Actually, he thought it was from a horse and scrape that onto a person. And then that's, that's even better for some reason. So he, he convinced himself that was probably true. He declared it to be true, and then everybody just followed along. And they were like, yes, it is true. So they started doing it. It's And they, even though there was right out of the gate, 1800, 1801, 1805, 1810, doctors saying, no, it's not working, and people are being injured by it. It just, it just once it latched on, it just, you couldn't get rid of it. And, uh, and because it was piggybacked off uh, another idea for that was around for 80 years, it just was embedded into the, the medical culture. And eventually they put it into law because they got the ear of various um, different people in like Dukes and things of that nature. And they got the legislature involved. They started passing laws all over the planet, which is really just insane. And the laws were draconian and you had to get it. If you didn't get it, you were fined. You could go to jail. Uh, it was quite dramatic. So, um, in some respects, it was worse than you know all these draconian crap going down during um, during COVID. So there was people that were severely punished going to hard labor for not getting a medical procedure because because reasons <laughs> more than anything else because they just thought it was the greatest thing ever and that everybody should had to do it in order to save us all. 
which of course wasn't really true at all. But they believed it to be true and they were making lots of money off of it too, which didn't help. And then once they codified it into law, that was a disaster because then you couldn't get rid of it because then you have politicians involved and everyone knows how smart politicians are. So <laughs> once they had it as a law, it's like, oh, it's a law. So therefore it must be true and we got to keep it going. And even when they had disasters like 1872, massive numbers of people dying from smallpox despite being vaccinated and they couldn't even deny that anymore. It didn't matter because it was still a law. So you had to, the people had to rise up in 1885 at Leicester and say, no, we're not doing this anymore. And they stopped vaccinating and they were fine. And no one ever really, it wasn't worse for them than anybody else. It was a lot better. They started improving and eventually England just got rid of all the, they had a conscientious clause in 1898 and vaccination rates dropped and dropped and dropped. And at the same time, smallpox deaths dropped and dropped and dropped too. So, but no one ever went back and looked at that and said, oh, you know, we made a mistake because that's not what people do. They don't go back and say, hey, we made a mistake. And instead they decided, well, we'll come up with different vaccines. Well, that's what we're going to do. So they they went on their merry way, ignoring all the stuff that happened beforehand. Just like they ignored that mercury was toxic and the hot regimen was a disaster and all these other things were bad. They just moved on with the next thing. So, and, um, you know, Nothing's nothing's really changed as far as that goes. Now we have a new thing to worry about, a new external enemy, and we have to have this drug or this procedure or this vaccine. And in my opinion, none of it was necessary. You know, couldn't, you know, even if there was a microbe, which some people say yes, some people say no, I don't particularly think there was anything there, but because of the way the test was done didn't make any sense to me, but let's say there was something there. It still wouldn't have mattered. I mean, what's your, what's your health level? Like what's your vitamin D levels? You know, are you a healthy person? And um, I don't think we're a really healthy society. We haven't been healthy since like the 50s, 60s and 70s, which was the peak. And now we have everything way out of control. Obesity is off the charts. Vitamin D deficiency is horrible because everybody stays indoors and thinks they don't have to be part of nature. And magnesium is horrible. So there's all sorts of things that we know are not, not good, but you know, we're just focused on the, you know, the other, the external threat that we can't see. So we can be afraid of it. And we're all terrified. We're all terrified of everything all the time. And we have the, the you know, Fox News and CNN, all these guys scaring people. And it's not only them. There's YouTube channels that are you know, scaring the people all the time there's there's not too many you know you know happy happy news um youtube channels you know telling about all sorts of positive things it's all just doom and gloom and so it's no wonder everybody's terrified and angry and and uh nutritionally deficient and overweight because when you're happy you don't eat you know when you're when you're afraid you don't eat a sprout salad <laughs> you, you go eat a bunch of junk and uh so i think you know, we've, we've done this to ourselves and we could change it. We can go in the opposite direction, turn off all this junk, have a nice day, eat better, exercise, you know, go out in the sunshine and have a laugh or two. I, I completely agree, Roman. In terms of the data, that, is it harder to find, like, would you be able to go into libraries and find that, that information? Do you think now, is, is, it, is it easy to find that information or do you think it, the same or 
it's a lot easier now because you have the internet. So a lot of these books have been scanned and you can, you can get them. Um, there's a bunch of different places on online. Um, I know people don't like Google, but Google books has pretty, pretty much scanned the universe. As far as I can understand, there's just hundreds and thousands of millions of books that you can read about every topic that are from the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, early 1900s. So there's a lot of that there. There's all sorts of other places online. You can read whole books too. And when you read them, you're like, wow, this is crazy. And so the more you read, the more you get more of a perspective on what's going on. So you can find all that stuff. It can be found if you're so interested to do so. And I'm happy to share PDFs with people. You know, just send me an email and I'll send you a couple of PDFs to start reading through uh, Dr. Creighton's books or, um, you know, Winterburn wrote a great book on vaccination. And there's, there's tons of these guys that wrote books. They spent the time doing it. So I just had to read it and collate it down. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of guys that spent a lot of time doing this. So you can find it. Uh, but I wouldn't underestimate. I mean, it's a gift you've had in being able to look at the bigger picture and to analyze data. And and thankfully, you did put those charts together and you you know persisted with it because for people, that's. I mean, I, I have to be honest. When people come to me and ask about vaccines and are interested in it, your book is the first book I say to go to because I think it is so clear from the charts. You can't look at it and not see what's going on. Well, that. Yeah, well, that's great. I'm, I'm glad that had that positive effect. But I have people looked at the charts that I showed them because I'm, you know, we're debating about vaccines a bit. I, I never tell anybody what to do or what to think, but I say, well, I have this chart, and you can see the mortality decline. And I've had a few people just stare at it, like it hits their brain, and then they can't reconcile it, and they go, well. Well, that could, that's wrong. I said, no, the data is solid. Well, uh, the incident went down, so that that those deaths don't matter, you know. So people look at it, and sometimes they can't can't actually see it, which is kind of interesting. They hit a mental block, which I understand I because I had the same mental block when I first did the first jar. I was like, wait, this can't be right. So it's it's a hard thing to swallow because it goes against a deeply ingrained societal you know thought process. What do you kind of see as a way forward, I don't know, for helping people? Um, is it is it kind of a little bit ambulance at the bottom of the cliff of reacting to people when they've had problems and then they start um, waking up? Or is it is it proactive? Like what, what do you kind of see as a way forward? I think most people, from my experience, usually have something happen before they go, oh, wait, let me see what I can figure out. Um, I'm a, I'm an exception because, well, I had my own health problem that awakened me earlier. So I guess I did have a challenge. So, uh, yeah. So people usually have some kind of uh, challenge that gets them to wake up to something that they've assumed, which I assumed was, you know, the greatest invention, right? So, um, how do we overcome that? I think the more people share their own ideas based on, you know, on, on this kind of information and create videos and create new books. And the more it gets out there, the more people you know, spreads around and you know, make movies or whatever you want. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and try to share all the information in a non judgmental way, because who knows everything, not me, not anybody. So you, you, 
just try to get the data out there and get the information out there and you have you can have a discussion about it and you can disagree or you can say oh i didn't know that and then you know that's how we progress as a society and as soon as it gets codified into ideology or laws then you know then you're kind of screwed because now you have to stick with it because then your ego gets involved and you don't want to say oh i'm wrong and people hate to say they're wrong it gets them really upset so um yeah so you have to you know meet people where they are and say here's information if you want to look at it fine if you don't that's fine too and uh the more we just get people to you know I just encouraged another guy who shared some data with me on the uh, polio stuff. And I said, you should write your own book because you got some good information. The more people write things and share them, the better. You know, I'm helping one lady who got the second, some kind of COVID shot and she's, she's physically destroyed. And uh, so we're trying to help her, you know, regain some of her health, which is, is not easy to do. Um, you know, so, you have something that you need to share and you want to work on stuff then just you know either write it or make a song or make a video and and do the work and share it with people and you know try to try to make a difference you know stop listening to experts who've been wrong throughout the centuries you know they're not suddenly all right now they've been wrong from the beginning you know using mercury was probably not a good idea it was part of the cause of the white plague, which is, uh, we call it, they called it consumption and tuberculosis. That killed, at least during one period in Massachusetts, 50 times more people than smallpox did. And we don't know anything about it. It's like, oh, never heard of that. Uh, mercury was a bad idea. It was killing people because well, mercury is a toxin. And it wasn't a good idea. So the experts back then thought it was a great idea. But it, it wasn't. And arsenic was not a great idea. And bleeding people to death was not a good idea. There's always been wrong-headed notions, and it's most of medicine's empiricism, you know, just experiments. It's like, oh, let's try this. Let's lower your cholesterol. Well, is that really good for your overall longevity? That hasn't been shown to be true as far as I know. So why, why are you doing that? It's just a giant experiment. They did that with the salt vaccine. It was just a giant experiment. They just did it with millions of people to see what would happen. You know, they thought it was going to work, and then they would just go back and go, well, maybe we have to reformulate it again. They were to reformulate it. Let's do it again. And, oh, gee, a lot of people got sick anyway, and a lot of people died, but oh, let's go with a different vaccine. Now we're now everybody who got vaccines before has to use the new vaccine. It's nonstop just in experiments on the public. Do you have a, do you go to a doctor? Do you have a doctor? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I gave that up. I gave up smoking, drinking, and uh, doctors. So. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, no, that's good. When did you give up doctors? Uh, it's probably about now 10 years. Last time I went to the doctor, she's like, oh, how come you're not on any meds? I said, well, do I need anything? What's the matter? Oh, no, everything looks fine. She said, it's just very odd that you don't have any, you're not on any medication. I said, well, okay. <laughs> But I recommend you should get this, 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 this. And I said, nah, no, I'm not going to get that right now. Thank you. And I was like, why am I going to this person? They don't know anything. I don't know anything about health, you know. And I just, you know, said, why? I'm just going because I might be afraid that this is going to happen or that's going to happen. So, nah, I'm done. Finished. So I don't, I don't go to anybody anymore. I just try. Well, Michelle's a 
was a naturopath for 25 years or so. So I, you know, just listen to some things she has to say. And then I just, you know, do basically a natural diet. And everybody has different ideas about what that is, but I just say, just try to stay close to nature as possible and don't eat processed garbage. And you got most of it tackled right there, you know, eat, eat organic. So that's, that's really your key for health, not going to doctors for tests and tests and tests and tests. And they tell you, well, you need these meds to fix the problem. I don't think that's true. I think usually if something's out of kilter is because you're deficient in something you're not usually deficient in statins or or vaccines you're not deficient in these things those are just ways to tweak parameters when is your book going to be released good question (laughs) (laughs) i don't know there's there's always there's always tons of details and uh with two people going back and forth with you know changes and stuff um I'm hoping before Christmas, if not early next year. And then we have the companion, which is about 500 pages long too, which is just chock full of quotes more than anything else. There's not a lot of writing in there. So um, that should follow right after that too. So, which that should give people the resources to, if they want to write their own stuff or they just like to read a ton of, you know, doctor's quotes. And there's probably over 100, 200, 300, um, smallpox injuries and death horrifying cases in there too. And there's a lot of other stuff in there too. Timeline. It, it'll, it gives you a nice resource for, and I actually used it when I was going back and writing parts of the book. For the audience, how can they keep apprised of when this release is happening? It'll be on dissolvingillusions.com. It should be within the next month or two or three, I mean, I guess. So not only do you have to, you know, make sure everything's in order, you have to make sure the book's right thickness and the cover is done correctly and i have to update the index so there's there's a lot of always pieces parts to clean up and that's why you get burned out by the end because there's so much detail to get done and i'm i'm extremely anal so i read the book over and over again to make sure everything's you know, has the right commas in the right space and all the references are done the right way and they're all correct and so it just it's a attention to detail that really really takes a lot of so Roman, so I'd like to encourage people to come to your website, dissolvingillusions.com. Um, Great. And to, is that the best place to find you? Yeah, dissolvingillusions.com. And then there's, I use Twitter currently because Twitter is semi-free at the moment. So um, so I post some stuff on Twitter. All the charts are on there um, where you can buy the German version or the Spanish version or Portuguese version are all in there too. So easier to find it that way and then when we come out with a book we'll you know that'll be up up there as well there's there's going to be a whole bunch of new stuff in the book uh it's based on the old book but each new section will be very clear what the new stuff is so i have a whole new new chapter on the white plague which was very interesting to me um we call that tuberculosis like i just said Um, they used to call it consumption because it would consume its victims Big, big killer. But what's what we talk about now is it's, you know, this particular microbe and it's highly contagious. If you go to any of these um, health websites, they'll tell you that, right? But what's interesting is back then, if you read the old literature, no one thought it was contagious. As a matter of fact, there was people, uh, Dr. Hunter, I think it was, he said, I've been, you know, 
working with lung diseases for 50 years. This hospital has been treating people, the number one hospital in the world for lung diseases for 60 years, and there's never been a case of transmission from sick to well of tuberculosis. So, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of other people that said the same basic thing. But once they had the little microscope out, they said, oh, there it is. And then they decided it's contagious, even though they had mm -hmm. a lot of the, you know, those um, testimonies that on the ground, boots on the ground said, no, it's not. But the academics just, you know, they would just repeat other things, I guess. So they, they made it contagious. So it wasn't anything to do with a contagion. Um, it really had to do with couple different things, toxic medications, mercury. They found that some doctors found after people got mercury, they could end up with tuberculosis. They mm -hmm. also found that, you know, the people exposed to these various metals and toxic environments um, in these various factories, because factories are, you know, were atrocious. There was, no, you know, just stuff spewing all over the place and smokes and everything. And uh, so that was another factor in tuberculosis. And um, another factor was um, the smallpox vaccine. Uh, mm -hmm. That was tied by numerous doctors to having tuberculosis. So, you know, once all those things improved, tuberculosis deaths dropped. So by the 1950s or so, before there was a, a vaccine or antibiotics had fallen by 98% because these other things were, you know, they were taken care of. But you know, we get stuck with a still, still this idea that it was just a microbe instead of the real causes, which were multiple in nature, not just one thing. It, it, it's it's a convenient this idea that there's a microbe that causes a single microbe that causes a single disease is a convenient yet three year old concept. Usually, things are much more complicated than that. You know, it has to do with your health, you know, vitamin D levels, and all sorts of other things that. We probably don't even understand yet your stress levels all that stuff has everything to do with it not just this fantasy of one microbe causes one disease i think that's quite um infantile yeah and and i think it appeals to people's psyche that you know it's so simple that there's you know one germ causes one disease it's it, it people like it it's it's a sl it's well, a marketing it's a very simple idea it's but it's childish because reality doesn't work that way. Um, it just doesn't. It's 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 a silly thing, but it's very it's very enticing. It's like now I know what the problem is. I know what to do. I just have to get rid of the one thing or take something to protect me from that thing, and everything will be fine. And, uh, that's that notion's been going on for centuries. And you know, and this, the same idea was used for scurvy. They thought scurvy was an infection. So you get on a ship, everybody got sick. Oh, it must be some kind of infection. Well, that, that wasn't true. But that took decades and centuries to get rid of that idea. And then there was Beriberi and Pellegra. They thought the same thing. They were convinced it was a virus. Some people were very convinced. It just ended up being B1 and B3 deficiencies. Um, and I think things like the flu, flu pneumonia, those are mostly vitamin D deficiencies. Same thing with hospital-inquired infections was a chart, I forget which journal it was in. They had done a study, you know, the people who had 10 nanograms per milliliter of vitamin D uh, versus the ones that had 50, which is kind of like you would get if you were a uh, lifeguard, you know, plenty of sunshine. That was a 95% decline in deaths or cases of infectious um, hospital acquired infections. So is it really 
a hospital to inquire an infection, or you're just vitamin D deficient because that's not generally checked. And if you're in a hospital for a long time, you're getting zero vitamin D production, and then you get sicker and sicker because you're not part of nature anymore, and it's all filtered out. So, you know, so we, this this ridiculous one thing causes one problem ideas just got to go away it just doesn't make any real sense i really love your the way that you frame the world and your positivity your humbleness and you just and i i'm so grateful <laughs> that you've written dissolving illusions and came up with that original concept because i think it's helped i imagine thousands well, I just, of people I, you know i got lucky you know if this guy hadn't given me a book if i hadn't on this radio program and et cetera, et cetera. So I always mm -hmm. find myself very fortunate that I you know, encountered all this stuff. Otherwise, who knows? You know? Or maybe it would have happened anyway, but I first through somebody else, I guess. I don't know. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very honored and grateful that I was able to write this and keep on writing <laughs> for some reason. And uh, hopefully it helps humanity. You know, we have a lot of problems on the planet and, we don't need to be running around screaming about microbes anymore. You know, that's so, that's so 1800s. You know, come on. <laughs> so we can, dumb. <laughs> we can, we can do better. We can do better than this. We don't need to keep on running around in a panic all the time. Cool. I really wanted to thank you so much for your time, Roman. It's been a lovely pleasure being able to speak with you and to hear about the new Dissolving Illusions book that's coming very soon. Yeah, and I'd like to encourage people to go to the website dissolvingillusions.com to find your work and uh, and to buy the book if they've never um, owned it before because I think it's uh, amazing. And yeah, thank you so much, Roman. Thank you. Really appreciate mm -hmm. it. If you enjoyed this video, please visit support.dsam.com. I thought that was pretty good <laughs> and uh, some interesting things I was thinking, um, you know, I like the way he's uh, questioning the medical community. Oh, you're not on any drugs. What's the matter with you? How come? That's un American. Um, the other thing is uh, it really gets you thinking when he was talking about uh, so many of the uh, alleged things like berry berry which is a an old you know they say it's not around anymore but it was a b vitamin deficiency if you do a check or if you talk to how many you know doctors that talk about uh, uh, congestive heart failure you know that's still around what people don't realize is congestive heart failure is the terminal event of berry berry a b vitamin deficiency and when people who have congestive heart failure are put on the 90 essential nutrients with extra B vitamins, their condition goes away. Imagine that. Made me start thinking, what about childhood illnesses? What about measles? What about chicken pox? What about uh, rubella, whooping cough? They're not really childhood illnesses. Anybody can get them. And I, I had a kind of back and forth with my pastor's daughter over uh, on Thanksgiving about that because I was, you know, her husband was asking me about my radio shows and the kind of things I talk about. And I said, one of the things we talk about is 
challenging the germ theory, the idea that germs make you sick. And she heard us and chimed in, what about chicken pox? I got chicken pox from little, little Billy something or other, you know, in uh, fifth or sixth grade or something. I said, well, how do you know you got it from him? Because I was around him and he had it. Well, that doesn't mean you got it from him. <laughs> I said, that shows how you've been programmed. And I was telling him, I said, you know, the, the mind is a powerful thing. And so many times people get illnesses just because their mind tells them to. Oh, that's crazy. You know, they can't figure that out. I said, you can, there are dozens, hundreds and hundreds, you know, all kinds of stories out there where people who were trapped in refrigeration cars on a railroad siding, they knew they were in a refrigeration car and they thought because of that, they were going to freeze to death. And even though the temperature, the thing wasn't connected, it wasn't turned on and the temperature never dropped below 50 degrees, they froze to death. Or the guy that uh, is in the military and he's led to believe if you get shot, you're going to die. He gets shot in the arm with a, you know, a, a totally survivable wound, but because he believes that if he gets shot, he's going to die, he goes into shock and dies. That kind of thing happens all the time. There's nothing more powerful than the human mind. And if you are told your entire life that if you're around somebody that has this disease, you're going to get it, guess what? When you're around someone that has a disease, you get it. Your mind can develop the same symptoms that the other person had. And there is also the, the, the nutrition factor, which more than likely she was nutrient deficient and didn't have the things that would prevent her from getting it. Because I know lots and lots of people being involved with longevity for the last uh, 12 or so years people that have mineral babies, the babies that uh, do it right, where the parents are on the supplements prior, you know, six months prior to um, uh, conception, they have a perfectly calm, safe, uneventful pregnancy, a smooth, easy delivery, and the child is born 100% perfectly healthy, no birth defects ever, no problems, no sickness, and they don't get the childhood illnesses either as long as they stay on the supplementation where they've getting, they're getting the nutrients they need. And those children are perfectly healthy. They're above all, they're top of the charts and above on the uh, progression schedules, whatever you want to call it. They're miles above their peers. They don't have the snotty noses. They're, they're totally alert. They're paying attention. They're learning. They speak. They crawl. They walk much faster than their peers, and they never get sick. Imagine that. So maybe we should quit making sure every child in this country is vaccinated with 70-some different things by the time they're 18. Instead, make sure every child is on the 90 essential nutrients. That would guarantee the stated goal of vaccination, which is a healthy child, which you don't get with vaccination, that's just they claim what they claim it'll do. But it's a proven fact that unvaccinated kids are far healthier than vaccinated kids. The ones that are on the nutrients are super healthy because they don't get sick. The others are many times just symptom-free and will still get the childhood infections, but they still they have a week or two of discomfort and they go on about their life. 
They don't have to worry about the asthma, the peanut allergies, the all the other things that go along with being jabbed like a human pincushion from the day you're born to the day you turn 18, and then some. It makes such a difference to do things the right way, God's way, as opposed to the way of the witch doctors, the, the sorcerers, and the, <laughs> the people that have been killing people ever since they first came on the planet, the American Murder Association and their predecessors, uh, like the guy said, you know, why should I mess with these people? They don't know anything about health, and they don't. You know, if you, if you go into a doctor's office and say how many essential nutrients are there, I guarantee you they won't be able to answer that question. And at the same time, well, you don't need to take, drug, take vitamins. That'll just give you expensive urine. They don't do anything at all. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, well, the ones who don't take supplements are the ones that are on your drugs for life. And the ones that do are the ones that don't need you. Personally, I like the second group better. So anyway, I did put um, the link to um, the Dissolving Illusions website in the chat room. Also, there is a link to Jenner and uh, Vaccination, which is one of those uh, books from the late 1800s, I think it was. Um, first, I put the link to it, and then I just went ahead and put the actual uh file in there so it's a pdf you can download right from the chat room those are also on the telegram channel in case you hear this as a replay and the chat isn't still open so uh, everything i put in the chat i usually put in telegram as well just to make sure it's there but um, the more you look into this the more you will see that vaccination as a whole not just for COVID or anything else, but for all diseases, is a complete, total, basisless hoax. And the best thing you can do is nutrify your body, vitamins, minerals, amino acids, essential fatty acids, appropriate for your body weight, preferably, and life will be a whole lot better. Now, I'm hoping that one day this gentleman will discover the carnivore diet, <laughs> Because he's going the way a lot of people have with Atkins. And, of course, Atkins was, you know, promoting a uh, um, low-carb diet. And Wallach used to bump into Atkins every once in a while in the airports. And Atkins was kind of like uh, um, Albert Einstein, had that wild white hair. And Wallach kept trying to tell him, it says, your nutrient supplement, you especially copper, you're going to you're going to die from a uh, ruptured aneurysm and Atkins ah, you're crazy Wallach you're sniffing glue. Well, one day Wallach's in the airport waiting for his next connection and reading through the obituaries as he always does and lo and behold Atkins dies of a ruptured aneurysm. Hmm. And uh, Wallach is still alive years and years later and Atkins is pushing up daisies. Uh, you know while a, a low-carb diet was a good idea, any diet that is absent the 90 essential nutrients is doomed to fail, including the carnivore diet. Now, I get a kick out of these people pushing the carnivore diet. Oh, you don't have to supplement. You get everything you need. And then, oh, well, wait a minute. I've got vitamin D deficiency, so I'm taking that. And I've got you know sensitive breasts, so I'm taking iodine. And, oh, i got to take uh, um, 
uh, what you call it, um, uh, electrolytes because, oh, gee, I'm not getting enough uh, sodium and potassium and magnesium in my diet. Hmm. Doesn't that mean you ought to be supplementing? Why not just do broad spectrum with all 90 essential nutrients while you're doing your diet? And guess what? Things will be a whole lot better. And you won't have to wonder about what's coming next that you didn't get enough of. Supplement, give your body what it needs in a form that, you know, is guaranteed to be there. And then anything you get from your food is icing on the cake. That's the way I choose to do it, and it served me quite well. Anyway, got another little video here. This is all about a minute long. Some smarter-than-anybody-else kind of person who thinks that um, people are eating way too much meat. Imagine that. And let's see what this Yutz has to say. So I'll give two examples. So one is that uh, people eat too much meat, right? And if they were to cut down on their consumption on meat, then they would, uh, it would actually really help the planet. Uh, but people are not willing to give up meat. Yeah, you know, some people will be willing to, but other people, they may be willing to, but they sort of, they have a weakness of will. They say, wow, this, this steak is just too juicy. I can't do it. I, I'm one of those, by the way. So, you know, but so here's the thought, right? So it turns out that we know a lot about, so there, we have these intolerance to, uh, so I, for example, I have milk intolerance. Um, uh, and there, some people are intolerant to crayfish. So possibly we can use hu human engineering to make it the case that we're intolerant to certain kinds of meat, to certain kinds of bovine, uh, bovine proteins. And there's actually analogs of this in life. There's this thing called the long star tick, where if it bites you, you will become allergic to meat. Uh, I can sort of describe the mechanism. So that's something that we can do through human engineering. We can kind of uh, ad possibly address really big world problems through human engineering another yeah human engineering us smart people who know what's right for everybody will just adjust your body adjust your genes so that when you try to eat meat something that's completely natural you'll not be able to tolerate it and we'll save the world yeah right what on earth gives a bozo like this the right to determine what other people eat, don't eat, have so much of. It just blows me away. And, of course, you got the Bill Gateses, the Klaus Schwabs, the, all the rest of these bozos out here that are pushing all this stuff on people. And we'll just genetically modify people. There's, he has no scientific evidence to prove that, A, that people are eating too much meat, be that it's any way at all a threat to the world the planet or anyone else they just spew this crap out like it's fact with no no proof whatsoever and unfortunately the generally dumb public swallows it hook line and sinker oh we're doing it to save the planet <laughs> right well, here we got a little article. Ranchers warn the worst collapse in cattle production will make meat prices double this winter. You think this is by accident? USDA has reported the beef prices have reached a record high this week and are expected to increase by 100% in the coming month compared to the same period last year. This has caused shortages of various types of meat across grocery stores and even ground beef being subject to higher prices due to a decade's low supply. 
The nation's declining cattle herd combined with a growing input uh, cost for the U.S. farms and ranches has driven wholesale meat costs up to $8 per pound, according to official data. Analysts anticipate that this figure could reach above $10 in December as demand increases seasonally. As a comparison, beef costs around $5 per pound in 2022, which is near the 10-year average. This rapid price appreciation means carnivores, that'd be us, many of us anyway, will have to double what they spend on their favorite cut just one year ago if they wish to bring it home this winter. In reality, meat inflation at U.S. stores may be even greater than the USDA forecast for wholesale prices suggests due to uh, increasing labor and transportation costs. For example, ground beef is projected to sell for $8.99 per pound next month, sirloin at $14 per pound, T-bone at $15.39 per pound, and ribeye at $21.99 per pound. Man, that's more than you'd paid for it in a steakhouse and having someone else cook it for you. <laughs> Relative to other proteins, beef prices are likely to stay elevated for the next couple of years due to tighter supplies, according to Wells Fargo Agri-Food Institute sector manager Courtney Schmidt. All consumers will be paying more for all beef products for several more years, added Wells Fargo's chief agricultural economist Michael Swanson. Retailers have reported dwindling deliveries and reduced meat supplies at stores, putting ranchers in a difficult situation despite record prices. Low rainfall in prime cattle raising areas has caused pastures to become barren, compounding the current supply shortage and increased, increasing costs. Low rainfall. Hmm. You think maybe that's being caused by some people in government who are fiddling around with the uh, weather? Don't think it isn't. This may lead to changes in food service menu items, with businesses attempting to maintain their profit margins by raising the price of burger patties and other menu items. Fast food, food companies such as McDonald's, Burger King, and Shake, uh, Shake Shack are some of the largest buyers of meat in the U.S., but they may be required to raise prices yet again in 2024 due to these escalating costs. Yeah. Additionally, these companies are being motivated to use more plant-based alternatives for their products as part of the effort to reduce their environmental impact amid climate change. Yeah, another hoax. And the fact that Bill Gates is buying up farmland left and right, yeah, it's unbelievable. Here's a little uh, next uh, prepper beef company CEO. I'll shut down the company before we ship a single bag with mRNA injected meat. Well, good for him. But it's getting crazier and crazier. And that's just one thing. We're being attacked from all directions. But food is going to be a real problem because they're messing around with everything trying to genetically modify the stuff that you get so even the stuff you can get a hold of is not good for you. 
You need to be getting a hold of uh, local people who are growing things locally in a clean, organic, uh, you know, pesticide and herbicide and hormone-free way. And it's getting tougher and tougher to do. The only other thing you can do is make sure your body's neutrified so it has what it needs to get rid of all the crap that finds its way into your system. Yeah. Anybody have any comments, questions? Hey, hey Mark, I see you made it in. <laughs> uh, feel free to jump in. I'm just trying to think. There was something else I wanted to cover. Hey, Sarge. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I sent you something on on Gates, um, his uh, like his business model or whatever. I don't know if you got that, but uh, it kind of talks about how he how he makes his uh, his money through his investments and whatnot. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, it does, it, it makes you wonder what, what's the incentive, you know, to, to destroy uh, a system that has worked well for God knows how long. Because they're yeah. not in charge of it. <laughs> That's pretty much yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. 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 They want to control everything. And, you know, Gates is a eugenicist, so he wants to kill everybody. But whoever's still left alive, he wants to make sure he's in control. Telling them what they can do, what they can, when they can do it, how much they can eat, what they can eat. And it's just, ugh. People like Gates used to get beat up in high school, you know. He probably did. Just, yeah. If he shows up around me, he's not gonna, it's going to happen again. He's going to have a flashback. <laughs> Uh, I might have to storm his beach. Um, yeah, and, and it, like the guy was talking about, you know, about uh, about us eating too much meat. Well, I mean, you know, what sort of papers has he published? You know, what, what sort of funding has he received? Mm -hmm. You know, it, 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 it's like it's like is that your only incentive? You know, just, just to say, well, you know, we could do this. You know, theoretically. Oh, you know, and trust me, they're trying to. There's no doubt. It's just a matter of time. You know, it's you'll find it being rolled out. They're already working on it. They've got that. Um, I'm trying to remember what was the alpha something or other uh, protein or enzyme or something that basically is what uh, that Lone Star tick was passing on to people. That's causing them to be intolerant of beef. And they've been working on that for quite some time. It's been around for years and years and years. And now they're yeah. just trying to start making sure people get it. Yeah. And, and, and what, to justify their existence? Mm -hmm. I mean, is that, is that pretty much what, what it's about? It's like, yeah, you know, all these labs, you know, around the world are doing this for, for one reason, to justify their existence. Yeah. Just like government I mean, bureaucrats, they keep passing new things just to justify their existence period that's it yeah i just hope that all these mosquitoes that gates is releasing and whatever else they're doing bite that schmuck as many as they can <laughs> yeah and, and and to think you know once they once they get these these uh these brilliant ideas you know and and uh the government start to get hooked in on it and they start funding them and you know, who knows, you know, where all their funding comes from exactly. But, you know, you start to look at it and you start to go, my gosh, you know, this thing, this thing could turn into a, to a serious beast that could just devour humanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? 
it's getting crazier and crazier you know you just you hear this stuff and so no what will they come up with next these people have some monstrous imaginations that's all i can say they're just you know flat out crazy yeah and it's like you said though you know in the end they're wrapped around the axle of their of their of their training Mm -hmm. you know and and you know whatever that training is is you know uh it's obviously detrimental to society Ooh, I know one of the things I wanted to cover. Oh, where did it go? Um, oh, it was on Telegram. And I tried to get it earlier, but I couldn't because... Oh, here's another one. Um, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny posted a thing. Return of the mask. Philadelphia to bring back mandatory face coverings in schools for 10 days in January to be proactive against winter viruses. <laughs> And I know there are some people in Pennsylvania who realize that a winter virus cannot be stopped by a face diaper. So what's the real reason for doing this? It's all about control. And again, justifying their existence. (laughs) After L.A., New York City, and Washington State issued face mask recommendations... Democrat-run Philadelphia has announced a mask mandate in public schools next month to limit the spread of viruses during festive mixing. (laughs) Festive mixing. (laughs) The city school district announced yesterday it will require all K-12 students to wear face diapers in classrooms and hallways from January 3rd to the 13th, the first 10 days after school returns from winter break. Officials nationwide fear that the first normal Christmas since the pandemic took off more than two years ago will fuel the spread of COVID, flu, and respiratory syncytial virus, which are already overwhelming hospitals across the U.S. Bullcrap. <laughs> They're not overwhelming anything. It comes after mask recommendations were implemented in New York City, Los Angeles, and Washington State recently. But officials stopped short of implementing mandates because they knew people would say pound it. (laughs) Uh, America mostly axed masks in late spring after Omicron surge was under control. (laughs) And studies increasingly showed face coverings have little impact on transmission. None whatsoever. There is growing evidence that masks hinder children's social development and education, among other things. Philadelphia Public Schools require students and staff to wear masks in the classroom for the first 10 days. Oh, good grief. Laboratory-based surveillance for influenza A, Philadelphia 2019-2020 through 2022 and 2023 seasons. And uh, let's see here. Okay. Well, no big thing. Let me uh, drop this link in the chat room. Do, 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 and telegram but yeah um alex jones warned about this stuff that's another thing um while i'm doing that here's a little video of alex uh, talking about it's all coming back uh let's see here come on oops uh-oh cooper the wonder pooch is messing around with something winter 
And then right after we reported that, suddenly you saw them say, we need to bring back the controls again, and they really pushed. But then there was a backlash because the, the report we put out went super viral. Members of Congress, governors came out and said, we're not going to go along with this. But they still tried to roll it out. And now, sure enough, they're doing it again. All over Australia, the masks are back under UN regulations. They're trying to push through this UN treaty right now that's being rejected all over the planet, but particularly in Europe of all places, that gives the UN control over your body for mandates, for quarantines, with no evidence, no testing, no nothing. Uh, New York uh, appellate courts just said that the governor uh, can just disappear people to these COVID facilities without any evidence or any proof. This is their shoehorning in permanent emergency, permanent martial law. Documents going back 20 years ago that we've talked about so much, but particularly documents that came out in 2007 from the Banff Canada UN World Government meeting that was a private closed door meeting, but the documents leaked and Lou Dobbs at the time did a great job on CNN uh, covering. You can still find those reports on YouTube reported they were going to use collapsing third world migrant populations to bring down the West, to bring in UN control, who, who, who is over, quote, migration treaties and regulations, that they would use the threat of viruses to do that as well, and then war and financial crisis. But, but the three big ones were open borders, migration, the UN controls, a deadly virus, and financial collapse to bring in a new casual society. War was another side issue that they raised. And it's, it's, it's in my film, Endgame, Blueprint for Global Enslavement, 2007. It's right there. The, the film is free. It's all there. It's their words. So I'm not predicting all this, and then it just comes true because I have a crystal ball. It's the battle plan. It's their operation. It's Agenda 2030. We're now living in the middle of it. They're cutting off the energy. They're cutting off the fertilizer. They're cutting off the food supplies. The prices are exploding. This is a post-industrial world. Already, the major uh, electric power alliance last week came out and a big press release, Fox News picked it up and said imminently, there's not enough power to fund things, even if we cut back power use. And the electric cars are gonna break the back of the power grid because they use so much more energy compared to everything else. This is a planned decline, a planned collapse where they then offer boondoggles of windmills and all these things that don't work, literally, it takes more carbon to create one than the power they were going to produce. That transfers wealth to the globalist while they give you a bridge to nowhere. There's not enough cobalt, there's not enough lithium that's been discovered to even have half the cars in the world be electric. That's why they said they're getting rid of private car ownership. And you'll have self-driving cars that come pick you up. You will own nothing, you will have nothing. So they're definitely trying the COVID scam again. They're definitely trying disease X scam. They're definitely trying this operation. There's also stories about, you know, 90-something kids tested for rabies in school after two kittens might have been rabid and turned out the kittens weren't rabid. It's, it's, it's just like that Simpsons episode from over a decade ago where they go, we need something that's in everybody's house to scare them and say it's got a disease. Oh, look, you know, the, you know, the new cat fever. Th this is known programs of control. They used the swine flu in the 70s to do a big international rollout. A bunch of people died, said so to pull it back. They are jacking these shots full of DNA compounds that literally go in and destroy your immune system, cause cancer, and so much more. My emergency report is going to be filed. We're airing it right now here on American Journal, but it'll be posted to band.video and infowars.com. Take this and share it with everybody you know. And then 
Tune in today, 11 a.m. Central. We're going to break all this down and more. Infowars.com forward slash show. We back to. All righty. So that's just a nutshell of Alex talking about some of the stuff that's going on. And, uh, of course, at the same time, you have the crazy person running New York right now, Kathy Holchel, who came up with a um, scheme to quarantine people. And uh, basically, they have a thing that would allow the Department of Health to pick and choose which New Yorkers they can lock up or lock down without any proof that you're sick, without any proof you've been exposed to a communicable disease. And <laughs> there's no time limit, so they can lock you up or lock you down for days or weeks or months. There's no location restriction. They can put you in any facility they want. They can separate your kids from the parents, the whole suit and match, no court orders, no proof, no nothing. They can just do it. And then once you're locked up or locked down, there's no procedure in the regulations that says you can get out of quarantine once you're in there. And uh, several people filed a, a, a case against this, and the court in New York ruled in favor of Hochul and Company. And here's a little video. New York, it. Governor Hochul's plans for quarantine camps may be in the works again. An appeals court just dismissed a lawsuit from lawmakers and citizen groups. Their attorney, Bobby Ann Cox, disagrees with the decision. We spoke earlier today. Bobby Ann Cox, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for joining us. To begin with, can you please explain the judge's ruling in this case and your initial response here? Yes, well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, so what happened was the fourth department appellate division here in New York State um, ruled that my plaintiffs, Senator George Borrello, Assemblyman Chris Taig, Congressman Mike Lawler, and a citizens group called Uniting New York State, um, didn't have standing to bring the lawsuit last year, uh, which, if, if you recall, we actually won the lawsuit last year at the trial court level uh, when the court ruled in our favor and said that this regulation that Governor Hochul and her Department of Health made um, were, it was an unconstitutional regulation on multiple levels. Um, so now now, this appellate court, uh, which, you know, of course, the governor and the attorney general appealed to this court, uh, they tried to overturn our decision. And yeah, the court came down and said, well, you know what, we're not even going to talk about the merits here, uh, whether or not this regulation was unconstitutional or not. Uh, we're just going to say, hey, you know what, we don't think you had the right to bring the lawsuit in the first place last year. And what's uh, your assessment of that decision? What's your assessment of the reasoning here? Yeah, it's pretty surprising, I have to say. Um, you know, the trial court judge last year didn't even discuss standing. Uh, you know, it was an argument that was brought up by the, the attorney general last year at the trial court, um, but it's so obvious that we have standing that the trial court judge didn't even discuss it in his decision. Um, so it was very surprising, and, and I don't agree. My plaintiffs and I do not agree with this ruling. We do not believe that sitting New York State legislators and the, the people of New York State, um, you know, in a citizens group, don't have standing. It doesn't make sense. So um, right. we definitely disagree with this ruling. And just for our viewers, what would be the potential impact of this ruling for New York, for the rest of America? As you've said, it could have an impact on the whole nation. Yes, so uh, what has happened with this ruling is that they have said, in essence, the lawsuit last year, the ruling there isn't valid anymore. 
So what that means is that the Department of Health and Governor Hochul are open to reissuing that regulation if they want to, which means they can reinstitute their isolation and quarantine procedures regulation, which the judge had struck down last year. So if they can reissue that now, that means that it's going to be a valid regulation and it's going to be enforceable by the Department of Health, the governor, uh, the attorney general. So it, it's really a dangerous situation. You know, the other thing, and in addition to that regulation now being open to being reissued, the other problem is that this is really bad case law. Uh, you know, a court, an appellate court is saying that these legislators don't have the right to bring a lawsuit against the executive branch of government when they feel that the executive branch of government has usurped their power, has taken their power to make law. Yeah. You know, it's very clear, three branches of government, each branch has its own job, its own authority. And here, it was clear that the executive branch overstepped and reached into the legislative branch's powers. Yeah. You have to be able to challenge that in court. Absolutely. That is concerning. And in a tangible way, how might this affect people's lives, say, for a potential future pandemic or such? Well, yeah. I mean, like I said, so the, the regulation can be reinstituted now because of this court decision. Um, so that means the regulation for any of your viewers who are not familiar with the regulation, um, it allows the Department of Health to pick and choose which New Yorkers they can lock up or lock down without any proof that you're sick, without any proof you've been exposed to a communicable disease. There's no time limit. So they could lock you up or lock you down for days or weeks or months. There's no location restrictions. They can put you in any facility they want. They can either lock you down in your house or they can remove you from your house with the force of police and put you into a facility, detention center, whatever you wanna call it, that they choose, you would have no say. And then once you're locked up or you're locked down, there's no procedure in this regulation that says how you get out of quarantine once you're in there. So, you know, just to give you an example, we were at the trial court last year arguing in front of the judge and the judge asked the attorney general, you know, if you take a family and you put them into a facility somewhere, how do they get out? And, you know, the attorney general said, well, you know, they could hire a lawyer and they could sue us. You know, it, it's, it's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. Absolutely. Bobby Ann Cox, You've done an amazing job representing these plaintiffs and driving forward this case. For any viewers out there who are interested and concerned and interested and want to help, um, you can donate. That's always useful. CoxLawyers.com. Um, and you can also read more about this on Bobby Ann Cox's Substacks. So thank you so much. Yes, thank you for having me on. Yeah. Standing. That has become the byword for we don't have a case and we don't like what's going on, so we're just going to say you can't bring the case in the first place. You know, that's that's what happened with the uh, many of the cases that were filed in the 2024 or 2020 elections. You know, people were told they didn't have standing because, you know, even though they were voters in the state where the case was involving and all that kind of stuff, you know, they keep being told, well, you don't have standing. You don't have standing. Well, who does have standing? 
The only person he has standing is the person who ran against this other guy and lost. And then when that person tries to file, he's told he doesn't have standing either. <laughs> hey, Sarge? Yeah, go ahead. Sounds like we're going to be living in camps and uh, eating soil and grain. Well, you know, if you were in New York, that's for sure. They're, they're definitely at the tip of the spear of all this uh, tyranny. And, uh, you know, if this was 240-some years ago, uh, they would be stacking bodies by now. Um, yeah. yeah, This crap is just absolutely getting out of control. And soil and grain is people, so. Yep. <laughs> Got to have more people to cook up to feed the ones that are still here for the time being. You know, you, you just get your turn in the shoot eventually. <laughs> we got 1984. We got soil and grain. I mean, all this stuff seems to be uh, uh, boiling to the top. Yeah, makes you wonder what's coming next, doesn't it? You know, sure does. But I'll tell you what, this is the insanity. You know, stuff like this. You know, in a supposedly free country, uh-uh. And that's the thing. You know, people have not been free in this country for years. They've given up their rights. They've given up all sovereignty. And that's the thing. This whole this country was founded on the idea that the people were the sovereigns. And through unconscionable contracts throughout the years, they've been put in a position where instead of being above the government, they are now underneath and subservient to it. And, uh, you know, the way I hear it, you know, God created man. Man created government. Government works for man. That's the way it's supposed to be to ensure right. that man's rights are protected. But now, through all the crap that's been going on the last couple hundred years, now we're uh, somehow or another, we're the property of government to be used by them for their liking and to perform to do things you know that they want us to do. Now, and, Sarge, yeah. Uh, uh, considering the way that it's currently constructed, right? And like you said, you know, we're under their thumb. Considering all that, okay, um, to me, I don't know, I may be wrong, but I think I think the logical way out is for the states to basically say, okay, we've had enough, you know, we're individual states, you know, we're gonna we're gonna put an end to it. Well, that would be the logical thing, but every time the states try and do that, the government comes in with its great big jack boot and steps on the states' throats. Um, you know, I think it was Missouri recently that passed their uh, Second Amendment Preservation Act, and uh, when they basically said that the U.S. government can't come in and enforce any of their stupid laws in our state, and uh, of course they filed suit in federal court, and the federal court ruled that according to the supremacy clause of the U.S. Constitution, the state doesn't have a say in the matter, and so they just overruled state law with their bogus garbage. And so if the state said, okay, we're going to stop paying you taxes, mm -hmm. we're, so you can't pool it any longer, and you can't hold it yeah. over our heads, you know, and dole exactly. it out as long as we jump through your hoops. You know, they what, need to get I mean, all their sheriffs on board, and they right. need to say, look, you get money from us, you know, you can't threaten to withhold funds from us because we're going to threaten, you know, we're the source, we're not going to give it to you anymore. And well, then when you me, try and come in and enforce it, our sheriffs are going to arrest your people and put them in jail. And yeah, what will end up as, that, you'll end up with a real civil war. You know, it, basically you could have, there would be four states that could tip the scale. Mm -hmm. Florida, Texas, New York, and California. Those four states, if they quit paying taxes, they could, they could do some serious damage. 
Yeah. The thing is, you know, what we need to do is just say, y'all that want to support the government, you go ahead and stay with them. The rest of us are getting out. And it would be right, and, New York, and, Illinois, and, you know, probably Washington State, Oregon, California. And right. most of the other states to say, well, we're going to stick with the rest of the smart folk. <laughs> that that would be, you know, it. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but to me, it seems to me that given the current construct, the way that it's currently set up, uh, that that would be, to me, is the, the only logical way out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be the only way you'll ever see any freedom in this country. It'll be the only way you ever see, uh, you know, a, a valid election, because we haven't had one yet in all the years we've been a country. Uh, there's always been election tampering since the very first. Um, you know, people think that things are bad now, but, you know, they were good before. No, it's never been good in this country. Uh-huh. We were founded by crooks, for crooks, and we will continue on until the people finally stand up and say, no, we're not doing and playing that game anymore. Yeah, and, and it's like, well, how do you get how do you get your state representatives to, you know, to take that stand? How do you, you do don't. That? The thing, that's the problem, is the system is geared so that no matter what level they're at, they're always trying to climb the ladder. So they're going to suck up to everything and be a part of that system because the entire governmental system from dog catcher to president is all based on that. Climbing the ladder, stepping on people to get to where you're going, and you have, we have to just step out from under it. And that's why, you know, that's why I don't vote anymore. You know, if you vote mm-hmm. in elections, you're putting your seal of approval on this corrupt system. And right. the only way to fix it is to step out from under it. If they give an election and nobody showed up, that would set a precedent. But, you know, most people are brain-dead, spoon-fed, and programmed to do what they think is right, which is wrong. And uh, I don't see it ever changing. Without and every single one of these problems. state reps, every single one of them, is just going along with the with the plan. And, and they're all, you know... Uh, guilty of uh yeah the system is set up so that you can't get into the process unless you're willing to go along with the process right you know that's the whole problem and that's why trump was such an anomaly because he didn't need anybody else's money or effort he just had the bucks so he said i'm gonna run and his message was so much such (laughs) that people you know thought it was cool and said yeah we'll go along with that and, and then boy, that turned the apple cart over, but I'm not saying another President Trump is going to do much better uh, because he can talk about draining the swamp all day long. The stuff is in there entrenched so strongly that even if he did get in again, chances are he wouldn't get much more done than he did the last time. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. It's, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, and, and, so, and so, you know, as this goes forth, you know, it's like, it's like we keep falling under this umbrella of tyranny. Yep. You know, to the to the point where, you know, eventually, I mean, we're not going to be able to do anything nope. about it. You know, the yeah. system is set so that in the next year or two, everything will be, all the screws will be tightened down. Every single, it'll be a gulag like no other where, you know, the same stuff that's going on in China will be applied here. We'll have social credit scores. If you say the wrong thing on social media, if you burp the wrong way. Whatever the case is, they'll make all the ones and zeros in your account turn to zeros, and you'll have no money, 
you'll have be totally unit there, you know, back and call. You know, you won't be able to yeah, do anything. Yeah, it's almost like 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 they're going to flip a switch at some point, and all this is going to come to light, right? Mm-hmm. But once it does, it's going to be like, well, too bad, so sad, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, we've been you know corrupt creeps all along, but. The only thing is, is the guns in this country, and that's the one loose cannon as far as they're concerned. They can't figure out how to collect all the guns, and, you know, hopefully there's still enough people with the will to use them that uh, that's the one saving factor at this point, I think. And But how how things will play out, who knows? Yeah, and, you know, obviously they tried it for over 100 years with help, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, the government, well, I guess you could say that's been also (laughs) along the same line. And the thing is, is our munition supplies for the military have been so depleted because we've been sending everything over to Ukraine and now probably Israel that all the fancy weapons they got, they don't got. (laughs) So it's going to be pretty much one-on-one. And when the the military figures out that they're going to be going face-to-face, with their, you know, guys down the street from them, they're gonna, I think they're going to think twice. Uh, and there'll be a lot of uh, flag-level officers getting fragged because they're giving orders that the guys aren't willing to follow. And yeah. that's the only hope at this point, I think, is that the military will turn on them. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, you don't, you don't get your soil and green unless, unless you obey orders. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it'll be weird, no doubt about it. It's not going to be pretty. And, uh, but that's what happens when we sit on our butts and let them do everything over the years. And I, I, I blame not just the people, but I, I blame the States as well, because the Mm -hmm. States have always had the power to say, you know what, that's enough. Yeah. You know, but the problem is the people running the States or have ambitions to be in federal government and they, they went along to get along. And that's the problem. You know, if yeah. if people if we had a rule that if you're in state government, you're barred from being a part of the federal government ever, <laughs> they might have a little bit more uh, desire to take care of their state. But uh, unfortunately, that's not the case. And yes. ladder climbers are ladder climbers. They don't care who they got to step on to get where they want to go. And it's a sad state. It's always the little guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Us ants. But No doubt. Yep. So, you know, what it, it comes down to the ants got to stand up, and I just don't know if the ants got the, the guts and the backbone to do it anymore. Well, Sarge, you're, you're, you're giving us a platform to, to talk about things like this, so it's very much appreciated. Hey, you know, hopefully there, you know, there's others out there too, but, you know, we, we just got to work together and somehow or another get enough people to, you know, see what's going on. And next thing you know, you know, I'm – probably not be able to say this anymore i just got notice from youtube last week that um oh they're on top of things a video i posted back in 2020 when we were having the reopen ohio rallies for the down at the state house because of covid i did a well, live show from it. down there and i paid, posted on youtube and they just now found it and said that violates our community standards and we've taken it down i said yeah, boy I you that. guys are on top of it <laughs> I face for radio on that video. <laughs> I'll tell you what. So, you know, I'll just have to find the file and repost it, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's insane. 
but uh, now with AI, things will probably go quicker. I've, you know, on Spreaker, you know, I said from the time I signed up with them, they were saying, you need to monetize and all this junk. So I finally went through all the crap to do it. And then they said, well, we're not monetizing you. Your, your content doesn't uh, go along with what our advertisers are looking for, I guess. <laughs> I said, surprise, surprise. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> but anyway, we're out of time. Appreciate it, everybody being here and hanging in with us and uh, hopefully learn something. But take care, everybody, because it's the only place you have to live. We will be back tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. Have a wonderful day. Take uh, Enjoy some time with the friends you love and family you love and all that good stuff. And we'll see you soon. God bless. <laughs>